You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Wentz from the shotgun, takes the snap. Here comes the rush. Wentz gets hit by Frank Clark, and Clark slams him down. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and ten, the play fake. Russell looks, going to lay it up for the end zone. Doug Baldwin reaches out, makes the catch. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast as we take you behind the scenes on what is happening with the Seahawks. And unfortunately, this will be the last podcast of the year, but we are glad that you're joining us today. Hello, everyone. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, joined, as always, by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, John. Hi, Jen. How are you? Well... Wish a little we, salty. Wish we were doing the recap show a little <laughs> yeah. later than this. I, I wish that I was not saying that this was our final podcast of the year, and I wish that we had been going for another couple of weeks. I will say that my um, my mood has improved as the week has gone on, but there was a good forty eight hours that nobody wanted to be <laughs> within three feet of me. So, you know, I'm improving in that regard. Well, good. I'm glad. Glad it's getting better. For yeah, me. hopefully it's getting better for everybody listening out there. And look, here's what we're going to do today. Of course, we're going to touch on the game that the Seahawks played in Dallas, but I don't think that that's the focal point of the conversation, nor is it the focal point of the year. We're going to go through kind of how the offense and defense improved, where their opportunity for growth and improvement is going into next year. Talk about who exceeded expectations, who made the strongest case for an extension, and what surprised each of us most in any phase of the game. So, John, let's just start with a quick jumping off point from Saturday's game in Dallas. It was not the outcome we were hoping for, and it's not the outcome that we were trending towards in the third and the beginning of the fourth quarter. Yeah, it was tough. And look, it was a hard day for the offense. I know there's been a lot of consternation about the game plan and play calling and all that, but they... They went with what got them there, what allowed them to win six of seven down the stretch. And sometimes you go up against a good defense that makes some plays, and Dallas did that. CX couldn't execute very well on third down, and that's the big difference. You get a few more of those third downs, extend drives, I think it's a lot different game. But uh, look, overall, the offense did a lot of great things. We'll get more into that, but I don't think you can you should overreact too much to a tough game on the road against a really good defense. And how many times have we seen the offense struggling to get those yards and then see them break through in the fourth quarter? And to your point, those third down conversions, and you can go back and look at every game that the Seahawks have had trouble in, and third downs are significantly you know, lower in those games, which sounds like a no-duh thing to say, but the other part of that is it affects the number of plays that you run during the course of the game. So if you actually look at the number of times the Seahawks pass the ball in the fourth quarter or after they had scored in the third quarter, they were passing the ball. The problem was you didn't have the volume of plays to get the yards because you weren't converting on third down. I think in general, um, the Seahawks offense, while it was the that day was an unfortunate day to struggle, and you can point to a lot of different reasons, including the fact that the Dallas Cowboys were the fifth best in the league at stopping the run, and they stunt a heck of a lot on that D-line, which makes it hard for the offensive line that was already injured and trying to fight through for that game. Exactly. Pete Carroll touched on that. It was, you know, you had DJ Fluker who'd missed some time, missed a lot of practice. And then Jared Sweezy who hadn't practiced at all. And as we found out later was, well, we knew he had an injured foot, but it was a little worse than we all realized. And it's, it's tough to go out there, even if you're a veteran and know what you're doing and 
play in a meaningful game without any practice. So yeah, it was it was tough against a really tough opponent. I mean, it's look, it's a it's obviously a bad time to have a bad day at the office, so to speak. But that's kind of what happened for the offense. But we can use this, as I mentioned, as a jumping off point to the good things that they did during the course of the season. And while the final score is not what we wanted. We did see the team set a lot of records, and that game in Dallas kind of helped solidify where they were offensively, at least points scored and some of the other good stuff that was happening. Exactly. I mean, you look at all the things this offense did. It was, in a lot of ways, one of the better offensive seasons the Seahawks have ever had. They had the second most points in franchise history. They had, they led the NFL in rushing. You take it to just week eight or week 10 through 17, they averaged 30 points a game, which was second most in the league. They had 73 explosive plays tied for the most in the league. I mean, Russell Wilson had his most efficient season ever. They did all of that while turning the ball over only 11 times, which is one more than the fewest in league history. So just so many things that this offense did really well. I have a hard time. I mean, look, a playoff loss sticks. It's terrible. Everyone's upset, but to overreact to one kind of rough game when you look at the body of work, it's and I mean, there's a lot of other factors you can throw in. They played a lot of that season with their best receiver banged up. They, you know, had some guys they lost in the offseason. No one expected this to be, and you're learning a new court. They should only get better under a new coordinator that you're going to have time to develop. There's a lot of factors you could have gone in this year and be like, ooh, this offense might struggle. They're going to take a step back before they get better. And then they had a great year. And I would say almost sneakily so. And maybe it's just because you and I can kind of get in the weeds on things during the course of a season. You know, every week we're looking at a specific matchup and you'll say, yeah, Russell has this many, you know, completions to this many touchdowns. But it's not until you take a step back and see the big picture, because while I knew the offense was efficient and I knew Russell had, you know, re-upped his his season record and I knew that Tyler Lockett was having a great season, I did not realize that they were the second best scoring team in franchise history until after the season ended. It almost felt like some of those things snuck up on us Mm -hmm. because we were so worried about other parts of the game or matchups from week to week. And I think that that's a cool thing. And you talk about the coordinators changing over. Think back to this time last year or maybe a little bit later. You know, Pete Carroll was making some wholesale changes on his staff, nine assistants in all changed. And so you're talking about a lot of uncertainty on that, that you're not going to have that same amount of turnover, which means your offense is picking up where they left off and they're having an opportunity to be better right out of the gates instead of having to reset after week two like they did this year. Exactly. Look, everyone was optimistic about the offense going into the year and they did some good things in the preseason. But there's a little party that has to go into the season going, there's going to be a learning curve and adjustment period. It's hard to, especially a new coordinator and, you know, you've got a new line coach, which schemes are different. That's a tough adjustment. And they made it as the season went on. And they, we just talked about all the numbers, but yeah, you go into, you show up for off season workouts, OTAs, mini camp, and you're already kind of on the same page, picking up where you left off this year instead of starting new. They're going to be, if anything, they should be a lot better. Yeah, and I would say you could argue the same thing for the defense because while there was a coordinator change on defense, it was bringing back an old favorite in Ken Norton Jr. And I think you could see how Ken himself had grown as a coach and how he commanded the room with the same presence that he always had. But he also did some interesting things on defense. And let's go back to that Dallas game 
pick out one or two of the good things that you liked from that Cowboys game, and let's use that as a jumping-off point to what the defense accomplished this year. I like a lot about what the defense did. It was just, I think, and this might be inevitable when you change a lot of guys and get young, just some inconsistencies. I mean, a perfect example, if you go and look at the game that Ezekiel Elliott had, he had big numbers and he played pretty well, but you stop that 41-yard run on, was it 41, 44, something like that? It was too long. It's third and one. They're late in the half, you get a stop there, or even if you hold them to a few yards, maybe they get in field goal range. Instead, they get that big chunk score touchdown. We all know third and 14, that was brutal. You get a stop there, you get they kick a field goal, you got a chance to go win the game with a touchdown. So it's just, if this defense can clean up some of those, you know, just the big chunk plays that were so uncharacteristic relative to what they've done over years past... I think we're going to see a lot of growth from the defense just for how young they got. All the new faces that came in got that experience, especially guys in the secondary, guys up front. That that unit did really well. So it wasn't good. Well, and I was going to say, it's easy to look and say, well, you should have been in that. So I'm thinking about, you know, Ezekiel Elliott and what he did. There was a couple of times where there was an opportunity to tackle him, and it just wasn't a sure tackle, and he stepped right out, and, and he ran – you know, right through the guy because you took the wrong angle. You got sucked in a little bit when your your coach would tell you or what you practice would be discipline and you need to stay where you are. Until you have experienced that in real time, it is hard to do that because you see the play and you think that you're going to make the play. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. And I would look at KJ and his interception and how he talked about having seen that play the week before, making the adjustment in Dallas. KJ didn't do that as a rookie as a second-year player. You know, it, it's going it to take time. these yeah. guys a little bit of time. But the physicality that the defense played with, they are never going to be exactly like the Legion of Boom. Nobody will be. But there was a big concern coming into the year about are you going to be as physical as we have gotten used to this defense being? And two, where are the sacks going to come from on this defensive line? And I think that going forward, you have answered some of those questions and feel a whole lot better about it going into next year. Yeah, and we'll get into this more when we talk about, you know, surprises or things you're encouraged about. But the sacks you just mentioned, that's that was a huge concern coming into the year. And to get the kind of production they got out of both Frank Clark and Jaron Reed. And then late in the year, he didn't get huge numbers, but Jacob Martin looked really good as kind of that extra pass rusher coming on. So... Look, you can always get better there, and Pete Carroll loves adding pass rushers if they can. So that I'm not saying they're content with what they got out of that group, but I think it's better than most of us realistically were expecting when you lose Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett in one offseason. Absolutely, and I think that leads into the next part of the conversation with who exceeded expectations this year because there's a pretty obvious one for me on defense, but I don't want to steal your thunder if that's where you're going. I'm assuming you're talking about Jaron Reed. I would say actually oh, Trey no. Flowers. Well, perfect. Now For me, have... I would say Trey Flowers because you had no idea what to expect but from a rookie who was I, changing now positions. Now I might agree with you and change my mind, but this is good. We have different people. That's right. No, Jaron Reed's a guy that he he was a really solid player his first couple of years. They talked about him being the best run defender in the draft when they got him, and he was a great run defender for two years. But going back to our conversation a minute ago, you wondered where's the pass rush going to come from this year, and you're hoping it's somebody off the edge or maybe they add somebody. No, it's this defensive tackle run stopper that all of a sudden becomes a double digit sack guy in his third season. That's really hard. I mean, we talked about this. The Seahawks have had before this, they had had two defensive tackles record double digit sacks in franchise history. Pretty good players. Yeah. A couple of hall of famers, Cortez, Kenny and John Randall. So I'm not saying we can pencil Jaron Reed into the hall of fame just yet, but 
that's really impressive production from that position, and it just bodes so well for their future that even if he doesn't get 10 next year, that you know he's a guy that can get to the quarterback. He has also grown tremendously in being vocal and being a leader in the locker room. And I'm not saying that he should have done that sooner. He waited until the time was right for him to speak up, and he and Frank have done an amazing job. Both those guys, I think that was one of the side benefits of some of the changes they made. That Not that the leadership was bad before, but Michael Bennett is such a big personality. Cliff Averill is such an experienced, respected. He wasn't as loud, but so respected that his – he carried a lot of weight in that locker room. It's hard to lead if you're in that position group yes. because those guys are so well-respected. Them moving on allows guys like Frank and Jared and to kind of find their voice, step into that role. And not always, but sometimes that can make guys better players on the field because it just kind of ups the confidence level. Yeah, absolutely. And so for me, my pick for exceeding expectations would be Trey Flowers. And, you know, it's a hard thing to come into this defense, particularly at that position, because Pete demands so much from DBs. And there's, you know, the technique that they have to learn and get right. And then when you consider that, He was a safety in college. He's playing corner. He's starting opposite a second-year player. And, boy, that could have been the weakness of this team, and it was not. And just to watch him, it wasn't just his presence on the field. It was the way that he approached his work during the course of the week. I mean, every time you approached him in his locker, he was studying film. And he never panicked. He never got down on himself. Not outwardly. I'm I'm sure he had his moments of insecurity. But – when he told me, and, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, when he said, look, when the season ends, I, I don't want it to end before it, before it should. I can't wait to dive into actually learning how to be a cornerback. And I thought, wow, you've got a kid who's played more football than he has ever played in his entire life. I can't imagine the pressure that he's felt this year. And he doesn't want to take time off. He wants to figure out how to be better right now. Yeah, it's... You go back to when he came in here and they had a couple veterans. We kind of assumed somebody like Byron Maxwell would start the year as a starter. And look, maybe if Trey Flowers comes along, he's a guy you look at in the middle of the year. Some injuries kind of forced him along. And to do what he did, as you said, they demand a lot out of their corner. I mean, no, Richard Sherman didn't start. He was a third stringer until injuries got him a starting job. Even Shaquille Griffin wasn't a starter right off the bat, and he kind of forced his way in there early in the season. He was kind of the third guy. But it's... It's really hard in this defense, and then never mind that he didn't play cornerback. I mean, it's crazy what he did and the upside with him and his size and just the way he plays so physical. His physicality? Oh, man. I think he's going to be – I mean, he was was good as a rookie taking all those qualifiers out, but what he could be going forward, it's pretty impressive. It is pretty fun. Okay, so we've touched on a couple of names. Here's our next topic. Who has made the strongest case for an extension? I mean, it's got to be Frank Clark. That's Mm – I mean, yes, and I, I'm going to throw out another name, but go ahead. Well, we're, Why talking, Frank... about, we're talking about guys in the contractual situation eligible for an extension, right? Well, I can't, like, name a second-year player. who's yeah. Correct. But I, w- I would say Russell Wilson, which sounds, again, like a no-duh no, 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 no. thing. That's a fair thing. Yeah. However, I would say with Russell, and, and I want to be very clear, he is the franchise quarterback, right? And I think he silenced some of the critics this year in finding ways to get even better. That is hard to do when you've been in the league as long as he has. And to see the growth and to see the way that he worked with Shadi and to see the way that the run game all came together, I think you can make a stronger case. Instead of just a foregone conclusion of, yeah, the Seahawks should resign him. No, they need to take care of him. Now, it doesn't need to be right now, but I do think watching what he did this year – 
makes you feel it a bit better f- about it. There, it takes Absolutely. away that doubt of, is this a guy you want to tie exactly. yourself to for and, five more years? Or and whatever can I pay him the same amount of money that Kirk Cousins got or that Aaron Rodgers got? I, I think that you can confidently say yes. So that would be my answer because I knew that you were going to say Frank Clark. I mean, yeah, I, that's a very good point. You could make a lot of the same arguments about Bobby Wagner and everything Absolutely. he meant to this defense. I just go with Frank because it's a little more pressing because he's in the final year of his deal. You have the franchise tag if you need it, so you can make sure he's around some way or another. And Pete Carroll's made it very clear. The, the usual answer when you ask about a guy who's heading into free agency is, we'll we, you know, we love we love him. We'd love to have him back. It's, you know, it's a tough business. We'll see what happens. With Frank Clark, it's kind of like, yeah, we plan on Frank being here. So they're, one way or another, I think they're going to make that work out. But what, what he meant to the – we talked about the leadership already. But more than anything – Pass rush is so important today's NFL. So when you have a guy who's getting 13, 14 sacks a year, that's you got to keep him around one way or another. Yeah, and I love Frank's part too to that answer is I'm okay being franchised. Yeah, I- I'm okay talking about. Like, he knows that he's got a place here. He's not looking to go anyplace he's else. He's in a pretty good spot of he's going to get his money money one way or another, and at some point he's going to get a chance to cash in on that big deal. But he knows. He knows he's made himself a lot of money, and he'll yeah. he'll reap the rewards. Yeah, I like it. Okay, last thing that I promised we were going to talk about is what surprised you, period, across the board with this team. It could be a position group, a coach, a stat, a player, a scheme. What surprised you across the board? I'd say the offensive line, both the impact of the guys they brought in and Fluker and Sweezy. There's question marks about both of them, mostly because of injuries. We didn't really think Sweezy was going to be starting when the when he came here. It was kind of like, oh, this guy coming off an injury for depth, took over the starting role, played awesome. And then what Mike Solari brought to that group. I mean, this they granted there were injuries at running back. That was a big part of it. But this was a team that just couldn't run the ball last year and struggled so mightily in that area. for the last area. couple of years. And look, Russell Wilson still got sacked a lot, but a lot of that came in bunches early in the year and then in the game a couple weeks ago against Arizona. But overall, the pass protection was better as well. So... What that group, the combination of the new guys they brought in, I'd add Dwayne Brown to the mix, just him being here full season and his leadership, and then what Mike Solari brought, that whole unit, the way they performed, really impressed me. If I can do one more, we already knew he was a good player, but what Tyler Lockett did this year, to get that contract extension, and at the time, he didn't have a very productive year in 2017 because of the injury he yep. had late in 2016. And a lot of people looked at that extension and thought, oh, you know, that's a lot of money for a guy who did what he did last year and thought they might have overpaid. That's looking like a bargain now. If he'd hit the open market, he would have made a ton of money after this past year. But to the whole, you know, having a perfect passer rating when targeting him, almost 1,000 yards, 965 yards, 10 touchdowns, and still a threat in the return game. He he just had a phenomenal year. Yeah, I'm really happy for Tyler. It's It has been a tough go for the last year and a half as he was getting back and and uh, trying to convince people that he, yeah. he could get all the way back. People didn't know what he was no. playing through last year, how hard it was for him. The fact that he played 16 games at all is an amazing compliment. It, it, was, it was pretty amazing. I'm actually going to add on to that what you said with the offensive line. I'm going to say what surprised me is the fact that they ended the season averaging 160 rushing yards a game. Yeah. I, I mean, that number to me, it blows my Especially mind. Especially when you look at the first couple of games. The, to, I mean, Exactly. The number of times that they rushed for over 150 yards in a game, they did it in a row. They did it in spurts, right? They had two streaks of five games where I they rushed. I think it rushed. was 13 of the last 14 games yeah. with one, it, the Carolina game being the one in the middle. It, exactly. It's crazy to me. that That's unbelievable. And you did it with a rotation of backs. You did it without Marshawn Lynch, which 
is just kind of been the benchmark here. And you did it despite everybody criticizing Brian Schottenheimer for saying, we're going to run the ball even when people know that we're going to run the ball and we're going to be successful. So I thought that number, I, it is going to be impossibly difficult to top that number for the Seahawks. I am stalling now because we need to wrap this up. Here's what comes up next for the team. If you just take a look at the calendar, of course, the team is preparing for the combine where they are scouting out uh, draft picks for next year. We do not know yet where the team will be picking. We can kind of look and see late in the first round, but we also know that there's going to be some moves made because that is the MO for John Schneider. Well, and especially they, they currently only hold four picks for this draft. So I, I, I would imagine go out on a limb. John's yeah. going to try to find ways to do a little wheeling and dealing to add to that total. That's right. If you don't already have it marked on your calendar, the draft is the last weekend of April. It is taking place in Nashville. That'll be a fun time. That will be a fun time. And then the Seahawks will get underway. April 15th is when workout starts. So you'll start to see some rookies come through. OTAs in May and June. Sure. Something like and that. And then before I you know it. I haven't seen the dates yet. But that's usually back. about how it works. Yeah. I'm, I'm really just, I'm, I'm trying to get us to July when training camp opens. So there will be things can to we make sure. take a little sure. break first? Maybe go on vacation or something? I, I, you can go on vacation. I don't need to be back to training days. camp yet. As much as I love football. Take a you and take a vacation? Yeah. All right. I'll let you take a vacation. Thanks, Jen. Appreciate it. Perfect. My wife appreciates it. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, just because we are wrapping up for the year does not mean that John Boyle is, despite whatever vacation he plans to take in the coming months. He will have you covered all year long on Seahawks.com. It has been a pleasure being with you every week of the 2018 season. We look forward to talking with you again on a weekly basis when the 2019 season rolls around. Until then, thanks for listening.